Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us to this point in our service where we may open the scriptures and preach and hear. And we pray that you will give us those soft, receptive hearts that gladly receive your word. It goes in deeply. It bears fruit. We pray that in this message you will help us as a church to love children as we ought, to love parenting as we ought, and that you will help parents to do the thing you've commanded here, to raise them up in your discipline and your nurture and your admonition. We also pray, our Father, that your word would draw people to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, it's an interesting thing that we do every Sunday. It's interesting that we do it every Sunday. Where else in the world, what other group of people, maybe some other religious group, gets together once a week to hear somebody give a speech? It's kind of weird. Like your neighbors who aren't believers, they never hear a speech. They watch something on Netflix. They, they never hear a speech. They might hear a politician speak once in a while. But we do this thing every Sunday, and it's this kind of weird relationship we have where it's my job or the other whoever else is preaching to, to do the preaching part, and it's your job to do the listening part. And if we don't booth you our jobs, none of this happens. Like if none of you come and there's no one to listen, then there's not going to be any preaching either. So we have this thing that we do. It's ordained by the Lord. It's for the good of the kingdom and the good of our souls that somebody's to preach to the people of God every week. The people of God are to be there and with good soil hearts there to receive the word. Now, I'm staying on that track, but it's not going to seem like it for a moment. Think about the word nothing. What is nothing? The great philosopher Aristotle defined nothing as, nothing is what rocks dream about when they're sleeping. That's nothing. It's what rocks dream about when they're sleeping. That's nothing, Aristotle. So in this preaching and hearing thing, I'm going to try and bring you something, not nothing, something. That's my part. Your part is to please not be like rocks who are sleeping. <laughs> Periodically, and this happened, I think it was two Sundays ago, one of you, and this time it was a gentleman from the church. He usually sits over that way. I don't see him there in this service. But he approached me after the service to apologize for falling asleep during my message. And I told him, brother, you're telling on yourself because I didn't notice. Like, you shouldn't tell me that. I don't know. The faces that I notice are the lively ones. The ones that their faces say, preach right here, pastor. I'm hearing it. So don't worry about it. I understand. I have fallen asleep in sermons. And uh, I understand why you might be sleep deprived or whatever might be going on. So not a problem. But if you'll try to stay awake, I'll try to give you something. How's that sound? It's our deal. Pardon? I don't get it, but we'll talk later. <laughs> All right. So we're coming now to Ephesians 6, 
where there are commands to children and fathers. Before we jump into what's actually in the text, however, I want to drop back or fly up higher and spend a little time developing what I'm going to call a biblical theology of kids. So we're going to spend our time doing that today, and I'm thinking next Sunday, Lord willing, we cover the text, and then we move on, and next is servants and masters. But first, today, a biblical theology of kids. And to find that, I'm going to take us back again to Genesis chapter 1, where we have what theologians have long called the cultural mandate. Now, I do remember we were just back there when we were in the section on husbands and wives, and that's fitting because what husbands and wives are supposed to be, what a marriage is supposed to be, is rooted in and shaped by that cultural mandate. So we went back there for husbands and wives. And now we're going there again for parents and children because same thing, what parents and children are supposed to be, what family is supposed to be like, is rooted in, grows out of, is shaped by what we find in Genesis chapter 1 and the cultural mandate. So I remember we were just there. We're going there again because that's a good starting place for parents and children. So go with me. We'll put it up for you. Back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. This is what is called the cultural mandate. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's the cultural mandate. By the way, it is repeated in much shorter form after Noah's flood when the whole first bunch of humans passed away except Noah and a few of his family members. And in Genesis six seventeen, after the flood, after they've come out of the ark, God says, and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So we get it in Genesis chapter 1, and we get it again after the flood in Genesis chapter 6, this cultural mandate, which is probably, but not certainly, the first commandment given by God to humans. Now, there may have been others that weren't recorded for one reason or another, or it may be, and it's hard, I can't figure it out, it could be that when we get to chapter 2 and they're told there's that one tree, don't eat the fruit from that tree, that might have come before this. It's hard to tell putting chapters 1 and 2 together. But here, this is a, a good candidate for the first words of God to humans are be fruitful and multiply. Isn't that interesting? Let's think about the words be fruitful. What is God telling humanity to do? Be fruitful. Well, here's what it shakes out to be. It really means have babies. Now, that's interesting. First thing God tells the first couple to do is have babies. I want you all to have babies. I want more humans on the planet. When, the, when, you're called, when it says that you're to be fruitful, it's like you're a tree and babies are your fruit. So God says, I want to see fruit on the tree. I want to see you with babies. 
He's also going to say, we'll look at that phrase in a moment, and multiply and fill the earth. But all three of these, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, I want you to understand, apply to the human race in general, and not to every individual specifically. The Lord Jesus was a human. He was God-man. He never had a wife. They never had babies. The Lord Jesus was not guilty of the sin of omitting to obey the cultural mandate. It's not given to every individual. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle Paul extols and praises the value of remaining single as you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I would that you all were like me, single. Singleness is a wonderful thing when it's a godly thing. And single people aren't going to have, they're not supposed to have, babies. So, but they're not deficient in failing to fulfill this mandate. It's not given to every individual equally. It's given to the race as a whole. It's important that we as a race are fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And it's in the providence of God that some are single. This doesn't exactly apply to them. It's in the providence of God that there are couples who would love to be fruitful, but God has not, to use an old term, opened the womb. God has not answered that Hannah's prayer for them, not yet anyway. And we all understand that can be an enormous difficult struggle for people who are wrestling with infertility, all sympathy toward that. We understand how deep and powerful and strong that desire could be, and when unfulfilled, it can be overwhelming. We understand that, all sympathy. But that doesn't keep us from talking about the fact that this is the cultural mandate. Let me also clarify while we're on it, by the way, I'm not in this sermon going to tell you how many children you need to have. So if you you and your husband are debating, let's see, how many, do we have one or six or 24 or what, and you can't decide, I'm not going to be able to help you there. That's a deeply personal thing. It's important that pastors know what's their business and what isn't. That isn't. So the Bible doesn't tell you how many children you have had, you should have, and I'm not here to tell you how many children you should have. That's a deeply personal thing, and it's between husband and wife and the Lord, But in general, the human race is to be fruitful. Be fruitful. We should be fruitful. Psalm 128, verse 3, I will not have it on a slide, kind of picks this idea up and says, when you have a wonderful wife, here's what what things will be like. When you're living in a godly way, here's what things will be like. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. There's the olive branch and there's a little shoot coming out. It's a little shoot. You can call your son a little shoot. Call your daughter. You're just a little shoot. Keep that in mind, all right? But your wife will be like a fruitful vine in your house. So the first words to the first people in the cultural mandate are, be fruitful. The second term here, the second phrase is, and multiply. Now, multiplying means more than just replace yourselves. What what is the replacement rate worldwide if you want to do more than just replace? If you just want to replace yourselves, you need to have 2.1. I don't know who has that 0.1. All right, I understand there's math there. I'm not going to try and do math. I'll botch it. But anyway, 
Somebody's got to have more than 2.1 because somebody else is having less than 2.1, but that's just maintaining. God wants more than that. He tells them, I want you to multiply, be fruitful, multiply. That's more than just replacing yourself. That's when it's all done. There's more than there used to be. And then he says, and fill the earth. Fill the earth. Both of those phrases, multiply and fill, are used many, many times in the Hebrew Old Testament. They mean exactly what they seem to mean. So this is the cultural mandate. Have lots of babies who have lots of babies who have lots of babies. So you're multiplying and you're filling the earth. Now, I am aware of the fact, as you are, that there are people who believe the earth is full and beyond full. And here the Bible does not tell us, so I can't preach to you at what number the earth would be considered full and at what number it would not yet be considered full. So I can't try to establish some standard for you. God doesn't tell us. I can tell you what my personal view is. Remember, this is not the word of God. This is my personal view. I think the earth is far from full. There's a good book you can read on that, by the way. It's called This Resourceful Earth. It came out in the 80s. I read it then, haven't read it since, but it was all about this. You might read Hans Rosling's book, Factfulness. It was Bill Gates who recommended that. I'm not a big Bill Gates fan, but I keep an eye on the books he recommends because some of them proved to be helpful, and this one was ginormously helpful, Hans Rosling, Factfulness, and he deals a lot with Earth, Earth's population and says, we're currently at about 8 billion, we're probably going to hit 11 billion, and then, due to education and better medicine and whatnot, we'll probably level off to 9 billion and stay there for a long, long time, and he says the Earth can absolutely sustain that, no problem. But as you'll know, there are people who have it as their mission, who, for whom it is their desire. They want to greatly reduce the number of humans on the planet. There are all different figures out there. Some say we need to get it back down to 4 billion. I read another guy who said, no, we need to get it down to 500 million. Half of 1 billion. Of course, what that means is a whole lot of y'all need to die. Of course, he says, we need to get you down to, he's planning on staying alive, right? It's you all who will have to die. I watched a video by a global elite, and he was going on and on about this, and I'm not kidding. He was saying, we don't need all these people. Like, who's the we? You're the we, huh? You don't need all those people. What are we going to do with all those people? But, But God's creation mandate stands. It is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, I want us to love children, and I want us to love God's creation mandate, God's cultural mandate, and I want it for kingdom reasons and for church reasons. We'll get to that soon, but let's just talk about this for a minute. What's going on on the planet? And this is truth. It's not from God's word, but I think it's truth. Lots of people say it's truth. Most nations on our planet are not even replacing themselves. In other words, the population in most parts of the planet is shrinking, and in some parts it's shrinking dramatically. About the only parts of the world where it is not shrinking are several Middle Eastern Muslim nations. Those people have babies. A lot of them are now in Europe. They have really gone into Europe. They are having babies. They are way outbreeding Europeans. So it is being said that in 50 to 200 years, depending on which nation, Europe will become a Muslim place. 
because they really believe in their faith. They really want to spread their faith. They're dogmatic about their faith. They'll get killed if they apostatize from their faith. So the apostasy rate in that religion is about zero. And it's believed that by responsible people, eventually Europe's going to become a Muslim place. Uh, there are some uh, South American countries that are more than replacement rate. But all the rest of us, and certainly all of Europe, is way, way below. Let's put up a slide. It just says, what is the replacement rate in the U.S.? That's not stated well. The replacement rate would be 2.1 anywhere. But what I mean is, where are we in that? And we are at 1.7. So we're not even replacing ourselves, so our population is shrinking. Well, how come our country is getting larger than with more people? Well, it's because of immigration. And this is a position of our government currently. Rather than choose to encourage people, have more babies, y'all. Eat more chicken, have more babies. I don't know why I put the eat more chicken part in. It just seemed to fit. But rather than do that, they're saying, let's just allow immigrants to fill the ranks of what is needed. And we do need more people. The book you ought to read on that, by the way, is by one Peter Zihan, Z-A-I-H-A-N. One of you interacted with me about that book this week and said, well, have you read it? Would that be a good book? It's an awesome book. Uh, this one, he wrote four. This one is The End of the World is Just the Beginning. And he gives reasons why your country is in big trouble if you have this many who are 60 and your pyramid's inverted, your population pyramid, and you have this many who are 60, but fewer, that many who are 50, that many who are 40, that many who are 30, that many who are 20, that many who are 10, and that many who were just born. Your country is in big trouble. You're going to implode demographically. It's going to destroy you business-wise. It's going to destroy the economy in your nation, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Peter Zihan would be one of the global gurus to best listen to on that. Just as a little more evidence of what nations, some nations who are encouraging people to have more babies are doing, uh, there are financial incentives. Those are always the incentives. There are financial, and various nations do it in different ways. But here's one I've mentioned to you before. You might have forgotten it. We are blessed to partner with and support, financially support, a church plant in Aschaffensburg. hope I didn't butcher that. Germany. It's near Frankfurt. And in that church plant, one of the pastors is named Dimitri. He's the one that I have uh, regular conversations with. Um, and he and his wife, they just had their, they just had their uh, second child. So he told me, oh, it's, it's really cool the way it works here in Germany. When you have a baby, the government gives you a year off, and they pay you at least two-thirds of your salary. The wife gets a year off. Her job is secure. It'll be there waiting for her when her year is done. And the husband gets a year off. His job is secure. He gets two-thirds or more of his pay. Job will be waiting for him when he's done. Why, why is Germany doing that? Because they're saying, please have more babies, or our inverted pyramid is going to crumble. We're in trouble. We need you all to reproduce. So this is a very big theme in Europe and many other parts of the world, not so much in America. We're relying on immigration rather than teaching our nation to please have babies. All right, well, just staying on what's going on in our culture for a while. I'm conscious of the fact I'm just talking to you about our culture. I'm supposed to be exegeting God's word, but sometimes the backdrop of some culture can help. So one of the more famous men on the planet right now would be one Mr. Elon Musk. You've heard of him, right? SpaceX, Tesla, and whatever and whatever. 
Uh, if you Google this, you'll get different numbers, but I'm pretty sure this is the accurate number. He is the father of 10 biological children, though one of them died in infancy. So father of 10, nine remaining. And he tweeted in July of 2022, quote, doing my best to help the underpopulation crisis, a collapsing birth rate is the biggest danger civilization faces by far. He tweeted again on another occasion, a little later, there are not enough people. I can't emphasize this enough. There are not enough people. He tweeted it on another time, if people don't have more children, civilization is going to crumble. Mark my words. He tweeted another time, and this fits, I like this, being a mom is just as important as any career. Hmm. One reason people don't have more children is careers. COVID helped in that regard. You can have your career and work at home and take care of your kids. It's pretty sweet, pretty amazing the way it worked for many. A new Pew Research Center survey, and these people are responsible, they know how to do surveys and numbers, they find that a rising share of U.S. adults who are not already parents say they are unlikely to ever have children, and their reasons range from just not wanting to have kids to concerns about climate change and the environment. In other words, it's believed in some cases that babies are bad for the environment, don't destroy the planet, don't have kids. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, save the planet, kill yourself. It's like people are bad for the planet. No, God says people are good for the planet. They're to be fruitful, multiply, fill it, and then exercise dominion over the planet. Sometimes we exercise our dominion poorly, irresponsibly. That's bad for the planet. But when humans exercise dominion responsibly, it's good for the planet. The planet needs humans. Just thought I'd throw that in there. So we're looking at a biblical theology of kids and We've considered the, the cultural mandate. Now I want to layer right over top of that the Great Commission and think of it as it relates to kids. We're building this theology of kids now as kids are connected to our efforts at fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 18, and I'll read it for you. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. This is referred to as the Great Commission. So we have the cultural mandate, what we're supposed to be doing on the planet, and then believers in the church layers over top of it, the Great Commission, what we're supposed to be doing on the planet, and that is making disciples, more and more and more followers. In the one, it's more and more babies, and in the other one, it's more and more baby Christians, new Christians, growing Christians, baptized Christians, being discipled and taught Christians. We're to make more and more and more. So we have two missions that kind of overlap one another, more people, more believers, more people. So there's more people who can become believers. So this is the great commission and it lies at the very heart and center of everything we do. Stay with me, we're still thinking about kids, but I wanna take a moment and show you, we showed you a slide of this a few weeks back, but I wanna show it to you, not on that pretty slide, but um, 
what our current outreach ministries are, what are the things that we're objectively trying to do, corporately trying to do, in order to make disciples, baptize, and teach them. So here we go. Our current outreach ministries include, um, we have been blessed by the Lord to establish, to become, to lead crew at Hartford Community College, very significant, just beginning. On Thursday nights, we have English as a second language classes. Uh, recently, I heard, just a couple weeks back, they had 17 people there reading Bible in English, getting Bible in English so that they can learn the English language. Hats off to those who are serving in that field. And then we've got, as you saw this morning, a part of it, we have social media reels. That's what that was, a reel. And they're on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, and we have other tools that are there as well. Please share them. And we have our youth group, and it's there to reach other people. And we have our kids' ministry. I'm going to come back to that. That is a very significant part of our corporate outreach ministry at Cornerstone. And our Christmas concert is a great outreach venue, though it only comes around once a year. Grrr. And we have baptisms and baby dedications at which 40 family members sometimes show up. And we get to preach the gospel to them that day. And we have monthly Who's Your One, like we just did, so that you and a way of life would be praying for the lost people around you and reaching out to them. And we are, I don't know if you know this, we've begun sending out monthly new resident postcards to certain zip codes or streets or areas that we've picked. So if they move into a new house in that area, they're going to get a card from Cornerstone Church. And those things are proven to bring people to your church. In the works, we're working at establishing the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Joppa Town High School, where our youth pastor is also a wrestling coach. And that's for outreach. That's that we might get in touch with non-believers there and draw them to Christ. And in the works, one reason why we hired Nina, one of her jobs that she knew right up front was going to be to study and figure out which is the best and pick the best and develop a ministry to new moms in the area so that our moms would get in touch with those moms and invite them to this thing that we're doing and get them near the gospel and the people of God. In addition to that, we support Extreme Family Outreach, a wonderful ministry to kids in this area, Freedom Church, Engage Albany Church, and there's the Al Schaffensburg Church. I won't even try to pronounce the first part. Now, I want you to note in particular, Harford Community College and the youth group and Joppa Town High and our kids' ministry, and I'm going to try and impress upon you that these are ginormously significant, and they're ministries to kids and older kids. They are probably the most important things we are doing and could possibly do in order to fulfill the Great Commission and lead more people savingly to Jesus Christ. Now, why would I say that? Well, let me show you a slide that I showed you all about, and I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, this came up in a sermon, so I remember that you've seen it once, but I'm gonna bring it up again. So here's the slide, and what you'll see on this slide is, uh-oh, there's no slide. There it is, yay. Can you read that? Yeah, that's big enough, you can see that. You're gonna see the age four to 14 group that's 85% of the pie. Those are the people who came to Saving Faith age 4 to 14. By contrast, go up on the left side, age 15 to 30, about 10% of people who come to Christ are in that age group. When you get all the way up to age 30 plus, only about 4% of people who ever come to Christ come to Christ in that age group. And age 0 to 4, 1% of people would say, I believe then. What, what this pie chart done by responsible people is telling us that almost 
Well, about 85% of all people who ever savingly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are kids born into Christian homes, raised up in Christian churches, in youth groups, in kids' ministries, in high school youth ministries, in college youth ministries, most of the people who ever come savingly to Jesus Christ, that's about 95, about 99% of them all, if I got the numbers quickly right there, come to Christ in that age group. What does this tell us? If you want to see kids saved, sign up to serve on Brittany's kids ministry team. Little plug for Brittany, you're welcome. I'm not kidding, and go down there with ministry in mind. Man, I want to see these kids have their souls filled with God's word and the gospel, and I want to be instrumental in drawing them savingly to Jesus Christ. And when you think about kids' ministry downstairs, and when you see kids running around and terrorizing the place in between services and so on, don't look at them like, I had a friend who used to call all kids rugrats. It's not like, what, what are these rugrats doing? No, it's like, these are precious. These are likely candidates for future converts, future inhabitants of the kingdom of God. These are riches for a church. These are treasures for a church. One way to greatly increase church growth in the United States is frankly to encourage believers to double the number of babies they're having. There I went and said it. Now remember, I'm not going to tell anybody how many you should have. I'm not going to look at, you don't have any, you have one. I don't look, I have no judgment in me. I don't know your reasons, not my business. Bless you. So don't get all up about this and, and, and not something you should be getting all up about. But man, we should be loving kids and desiring kids and delighting in kids and, and wanting kids. So... I want to encourage that. Now, next in our theology of kids, we started in Genesis chapter 1 and the cultural mandate. Now we're going to go to a famous psalm, Psalm 127. How are we to view kids? How should we think about kids? We don't want the world discipling us. We want the Word discipling us. How should we, people of the Word of God, think about? How should we feel about kids? We looked at the cultural mandate. We kind of layered the Great Commission over it. Now we want to think about what's in Psalm 127. Here it is. Behold. Whenever the Bible starts off with behold, that means look at this. It means I really want you to see this. Behold. What are children? Children are, what would you put in? Expensive. They drive you nuts sometimes. Mom's taxi has to roll and roll and roll. No, what are children? How, what's a biblical view of children among the people of God? It is this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. They are the fruit. There's that word fruit from Genesis 1 that we read earlier. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And here's what children are like. They are like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So yes, children are expensive. We understand in their world, children were prob probably and mostly a financial asset. They'll become part of the family business and extend your business for you. And now they're very expensive. We understand that. We understand they disrupt your life in a lot of ways. 
but they're a heritage. What is a heritage? Fortunately, that word is used many, many times in the Old Testament, and it always, most of the other times anyway, refers to an inheritance, like you inherit a field from your family. That's a heritage. It's something you inherit. And so children are to be viewed as if you had an inheritance. Would you like an inheritance? If your dear parents die in Christ and leave you $100 million, would that be all right? Not too bad, huh? Inheritance would be okay. They leave their house. It's valued at $675,000. You go, well, I can stand that. That, that's, now, that's what God is saying. That's how we feel about children. Children are like that. They're in that category. They are a heritage. They're an inheritance from the Lord. There's another thing about a heritage that's true of it in the Old Testament. There, it's also what you will pass on to, into the future. That, that field came to you from your parents and you're going to pass it on to your kids, and they're going to pass it on to their kids. It's what you pass on into the future. And children are a heritage. They come to you from the Lord like a blessed, precious gift, and you get to pass them on into the future, and Lord willing, and this is the way it should usually be, they're going to outlive you, and they're going to carry on everything you gave them and what they did. So what we have in this verse, this important verse about kids is, you receive them from the Lord and they're valuable, they're wonderful, they are to be desired, they are precious, they are the future. And this is certainly true in the church of Jesus Christ. Churches should want, do want, really want children. We want to see lots of children, because that's where most of our converts are going to come from. We want to see lots of children in the church, and coming to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they are children, and then the psalm goes on, they are from the Lord. So, so when Eve had her first, she said, it's, it's got exclamation points in it, she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Yes, that's right, Eve, you got a man from the Lord. It's the Lord who gave you that heritage. It's as if your God knocked on your door and said, I have a present for you, what's the present? Here it is, little baby. That's what a heritage is, and it's from the Lord. Every single child at Cornerstone is a precious, wonderful heritage to our church from the Lord. Our ministry to them is one of the most significant things we do. The psalm goes on. They're a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. What does that mean? Every child is a, is a reward of grace. God's giving them to you as a gift, as a reward. And then I like this part. They're like arrows. Now, what does that mean? What's the point of arrows? It doesn't mean sometimes you'd like to put them in a bow and shoot them somewhere. It's not that. What's it mean? It's so it's like, as arrows are to a warrior. Does a warrior like having arrows? Oh, yeah, he likes having arrows. Nowadays, it would be like having a 30-round magazine in your AR-15. Does the warrior like having 30 rounds? Oh, yeah, he likes 30 rounds. That's what a warrior needs. You're a family. What you need is like what the warrior needs, only yours is children. And they're like arrows are to a warrior. So we don't view them as intrusions. We don't view them as a bother. We might view them as expensive, but they're worth the expense. We view them as a soldier would view his arrows in his quiver. And, and the psalm goes on to say, blessed 
is the man who feels his You don't say to the guy who has a lot of kids, you poor thing. All right? No, you say, blessed. There are churches that do better than our church in this. There are churches, they tend to be PCA churches, Presbyterian churches in America, that have really developed quite a culture of loving, 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 loving children and saying, blessed. You have a child, blessed. You have five children, blessed. You have nine children, blessed. Um, there are churches with more of a culture than this. I'd like to see more of that culture here, perhaps. Now, going back many years, there used to be a man in this church, and very few of you would actually know him, but I won't name him anyway. And he was all upset at me that I was in a long series in the book of Romans, and he came from a struggling family, and his family was struggling, and he was loudly complaining to me, why aren't you preaching on the family? We need to be hearing about the family, and they need to be hearing about having their quivers full. And I said, what do you mean about having their quivers full? And he said, well, in the Old Testament, a full quiver would be seven. Why aren't you preaching that they all ought to have seven children? And I had to tell him, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to preach that because I think your, your interpretation is bogus. So... We're not going to try and say, let's see how many arrows were in a quiver. God's telling us that's how many babies we should have. Don't go there. But do go here. Blessed is the man and the church that's full of children. And they're a ton of work, but they're what you push on into the future. And they're what churches push on into the future. Some of the children of this church, many, we hope, of the children of this church will be the future inhabitants, the future members, the future servants the future deacons, the future elders of this church. Yes, some of your children. We're kingdom warriors, and these kids are our arrows. They are our ammo. We're filling them up. We're charging them with the word of God and the gospel, and we're pulling back and shooting them into the world with the things of God to carry this all forward, sound in doctrine, strong in the gospel, ready to contend earnestly for the faith. One more passage in our theology of kids. We just have time for it. It's, we're going to skip way ahead to the last book in the Old Testament. We were in Genesis 1. We were in Psalm 127. Now we're going to the book of Malachi, chapter 4. Malachi, chapter 4, about 400 years before Christ. And we read, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Jesus told us that was John the Baptist. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes... And what will he do? And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Now to be short, what is this saying? It's saying that when the Lord Jesus Christ gets a hold of a father... When a father repents of his sin and bows his knee to Jesus as Lord, and he's made a new creature in Christ, I'm going to do this thing to you again. Sorry, you're going to have to hear it again. What does he get? What happens in him? He gets a thing the Bible calls a new heart. Now you know where this is going next. What do new hearts do? They love new things. What new things do they love? Well, in this text, we're told they will love their sons and their daughters. I will turn the fathers. This is what Jesus Christ, when you're saved, this is what Jesus does. He turns your heart to your children. Where, where might your heart be otherwise? Well, it might be in making money. It might be in your business. And it needs to be there, but not all of it. 
You got to save some important parts of your heart for your children. They need your attention. They need your love. They need your care. They need your concern. Which would you rather have? It goes well with my child or it goes well with my business? Easy choice, I hope. That kind of clarifies it. And God says, I'll also turn the hearts of the children. What happens when God gets a hold of a child, when the Lord Jesus regenerates and saves a child and they repent and they believe on him and turn to follow him? What happens in a child? Well, one of the things that happens in them is Ephesians 6, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And they'll say, by the grace of God, that's what I want to do. And I'll repent when I don't. This is what Christ Jesus, this is what the gospel does. I see young men and young women and boys and girls in the room. Are you listening? You look like you're listening. Thank you for listening. This is what the Lord Jesus will do in you. He'll turn your hearts to your fathers. Father, what would you want me to learn from this? How would you teach me to respond to that? How do you want me to teach your wife, my mother, I mean, to uh, speak to your wife, my mother, and so on and so forth? A ginormous need in our land is that the hearts of fathers be turned to their children. Can you bear with some more statistics and information of that sort? We are told by a group called that produces what they call father absence statistics that about one in four U.S. children never know their father. They go on to say the United States has the highest rate of children living in single-parent households of any nation in the world, and 80% of single-parent homes are single-parent mothers. Hats off to those mothers, amen? Hard-working, dedicated, committed women. It's incredible. I don't know how they do it, but they do. They go on to say, of all births in the United States today, about 41% of children are born to unwed mothers. For women under the age of 30, the demographic that bears two-thirds of children in general, two-thirds of babies are born by under 30 women, the out-of-wedlock rate increases to 53%. 53% of those are born out of wedlock. Even for children with a father present in the home, they say the average school-age boy only gets about 30 minutes of his dad's time per week in one-on-one conversations with his father. By comparison, the same boy will spend on average 44 hours a week watching television, playing video games, and surfing the internet. But Malachi says he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their kids. Lord, I want my kids to know you. I want to teach them the things of God. I want them under the means of grace, the spigots and the grills that God has put around the room of the church without fathers. And and some of you were raised without a father and you came out great and you love the Lord Jesus. Well, sure. But statistically, that's not what is often happening in, in these days. Without fathers, kids are five times more likely to live in poverty. Five times the sons are five times more likely to commit crimes. Daughters without fathers are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. Kids are nine times more likely to drop out of school without fathers. Can you stand a little more statistical stuff? You don't need it. You can stand it. 63% of youth suicides, no father. 90% of all homeless and runaway youths, no father. 71% of all high school dropouts, no father. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, no father. 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers, no father. It's a national disaster. And our land is stricken with a curse. But Jesus says, children are a heritage from the Lord. Blessed is the man 
who's got his quiver full of them. And he says, I'm turning the hearts of fathers. When fathers believe on me and are saved, I'm turning those fathers' hearts to their children. This is what happens when the gospel gets into a family, when a gospel gets into a dad, when the gospel gets into the children. It changes your family. So we've looked at Genesis chapter 1. There's a cultural mandate. Psalm 127, there's blessing pronounced on children. And Malachi, hearts get turned toward children. And I'm just going to summarize it and conclude very rapidly in this way. May it be so in Cornerstone Church. May the Lord bless you all. Many of you, like Debbie and me, we're, we're not, so, so far as we know, we're not having any more babies, all right? I think we're pretty safe to say we're, we're past that. That's not likely. I know Sarah and Abraham, 90 and all. I know it can. I don't expect to be an Abraham, all right? <laughs> so many of you are with us in that. You've done your childbearing, and, and many others are, would love to, and the Lord isn't opening the womb yet. We love you, and we pray for you, and we're sympathetic to you. But may the Lord bless the families of Cornerstone Church with many, many children who will become the future subjects of the kingdom of God and future inhabitants of this church and future teachers and officers and elders and deacons and servants and group leaders and so on. May the Lord raise them up. That's one of the very best ways for a church to grow going forward. So I guess this message, if I had to give it a bottom line, it's have babies, raise them in Christ. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for these portions of your word, and we pray that your word would disciple us in how we view and how we think about kids, and that world would not disciple us. We pray that in this we would not be conformed to the world, but would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may prove and show forth and demonstrate what is the good and acceptable will of God. Father, we pray down your help and your mercies. We pray down your grace upon the dads and the moms of our church. Oh, help them to raise their young ones in your nurture and your admonition and your discipline. Thank you for all in our church who help us in our youth ministry, in our kids ministry, in our college ministry, in our Joppa Town High School ministry. Lord, may they increase and abound and may many believe on you, Lord Jesus, in those ministries. We also pray, Father, for our singles and thank you that they may be like Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 and they serve you with all their hearts as well. And we pray for those couples who are struggling with infertility. Would you give them grace and comfort and establish their hearts? May they be enabled by divine power to wait upon the Lord. Father, thank you for the children of Cornerstone Church. May we see them all bow the knee to the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Would you like to talk to a Cornerstone pastor? All you have to do is text the word pastor to the number on the screen, and one of us will be reaching out to you soon. Thank you. Pastor Stan. Thank you, Steve. And good morning, everyone. We give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ that we can commune with him daily every day and that he has torn down the barrier 